morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Paul, for how you've led us this morning. Uh, I wonder how many of us are facing situations that are or feel like they are beyond us, beyond our ability. Maybe it's a situation at home, situation in a marriage, with a son, with a daughter, with a parent, an illness, a situation at work, school, university, situation at church, situation in your local community, situation globally, and you just can't see or you just can't imagine how it's ever going to change how it's going to improve, how it's going to resolve, how it's going to get sorted. It's beyond us. And we're finding it difficult to cope or even to hope. Well, this morning as we get back to Ephesians 3, I want to consider, amongst other things from the end of this chapter, the need for a prayerful imagination That's what we're going to be thinking about this morning, the need for a prayerful imagination or the importance of prayer-shaped imaginations that impact our lives in general, but also specific situations that we find ourselves in, find ourselves facing that are simply beyond us, or at least that's how they feel. So if you have a Bible, I can invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and to verse 14, where Paul resumes praying. In verse 1, if you look up at verse 1, you'll note that it appears that he starts to pray, but then he breaks off to highlight the mystery that has been revealed. And we looked at that last week in verses 2 to 13. But in verse 14, we read these words, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. So here we have Paul back praying. Prayer is at the beginning of this letter. It's at the center of this letter. It's at the end of this letter. In chapter one, Paul prays for a number of things, including that his readers would know God better. At the end of the final chapter, chapter six of Ephesians, after Paul has talked about the armor of God, he urges his readers to pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. And here in chapter three, at this transitional center of his letter, Paul is praying. He's on his knees. And I know it's an obvious point to make an application to stress, but you know something? Prayer is vital. We say it time and time again. It's an essential holy habit. I love what Eugene Peterson writes as he reflects on this aspect of Ephesians. He says, Paul prays. Even when the prayers are not explicit, the language is prayerful. He begins by laying a foundation in a prayer of blessing. It's in chapter one. And then he goes on to pray for those for whom he's writing. Now here at the center, we come upon the strategically placed prayer that keeps the letter centered in prayer. At the end of the letters, Ephesians 6, Paul's admonition to pray will keep the church praying, not discussing church, not talking about praying, but praying. Church begins in prayer, stays centered in prayer, and ends up praying. Paul prays. How's your prayer life? How's my prayer life been this week? 
How is this church's prayer life? This letter we're reading together, it is packed with so much content and rich resources, but please, please, do not miss the place and priority of prayer that runs through Ephesians from start to finish. And if we learn nothing else from this series, even about our true identity, then I hope we will learn or relearn the importance of getting on our knees and talking to our Father. How's it been this week? How's it been on your knees with your Father this week? For this reason, writes Paul, I kneel before the Father. As adopted children, Ephesians 1, 5, we can come to the Almighty God, the supreme being, the creator, the governor of the universe, and we can talk to him as our Father, as Jesus taught us to do. It's a phenomenal privilege. We prayed this morning, our Father, hallowed be your name. And posture is important. Posture confirms intention. I kneel. It's an act of reverence. It's a position of willed submission, but it's also a place and a practice of retreat. You see, to kneel, you've got to press pause. You've got to withdraw from action from busyness, from cram schedules and timetables. You've got to press pause to get down on your knees and pray. And I know there's so many other things to do and so much to occupy our time and our attention. And even when we do get space, we just want to crash out, don't we? But you see, if prayer and praying gets squeezed out and it just becomes incidental or it becomes rushed, then we risk limited growth, limited connection, limited relationship, limited fluency. How's your prayer life? Paul prays. Ephesians is littered with prayer and instructions to pray. And so please, if nothing else this morning, if you hear nothing else this morning, consider your prayer life and your posture. Well, let's read Paul's prayer here, which, as I said last week, is one of the most quoted, most inspirational prayers in Scripture. I've no doubt virtually all of us are familiar with it. We've heard it lots of times. It finishes with two verses that have become a benediction, a doxology to end many church services. So please stand with me for the public reading or praying of God's Word. It's on the screen this morning as well. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory 
in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Grab a seat. Do you know, even before, even before we consider this epic prayer, let, let, me, let me make a suggestion as a kind of takeaway from today. If, if what we've already mentioned about prayer and about posture, if this idea of needing to press pause and retreat, if that has resonated with you, or it has been a bit of a reminder and a challenge, then we can simply read and pray Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. If, if that's the decision you came to out of this morning, see for this next week, at some point of each day, I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm just going to read or I'm going to pray. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. That, that, would, be, that would be enough. But there's two words that feature a lot in those six verses. Power and love. Paul is praying for the saints in Ephesus and every saint ever is praying for us that the Father would grant us these. That they in Ephesus, that we would know the vast power of God within us and the sheer extent of Christ's love for us. And who doesn't want or need someone to pray that for them? Who doesn't need to pray that for themselves? Who doesn't here this morning need to know power and love? But let me just take us through Paul's prayer. And there's four petitions I want to look at. At least that's one way to break it down. I know there's other ways to break this prayer down, but I want to break it down by looking at four petitions. And the first one is found in verse 16. It runs through into verse 17, and it says this. I pray that out of his, out of God's glorious riches, so the origin and the source of anything that Paul prays for is God's abundant provision. It all flows from, it all comes from him. So I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, as Christians, as saints, the Bible explicitly teaches, and we believe that Christ lives in us by his Holy Spirit. We've already seen that in chapter one, in week one of this series, and Paul at the start of this morning, that's Paul Haran, not the apostle, Paul Haran, at the start of this morning, quoted this verse, Ephesians 1, 14, when you believed, as many of us have, you were marked in him, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. One of our 16 I am statements, I am sealed. This is Pentecost Sunday, and therefore I love the fact that we're thinking about this verse on today of all days. It is a coincidence. wasn't planned that way. Not that clever. Today, and, and Paul has really helped us, we celebrate the gift and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised, I will never leave you. I will never abandon his followers. He would never abandon his followers. But that he would send the Holy Spirit to them. And in Acts chapter 2, we read about his dramatic arrival. And from that time on, all those who belong to God, all those who believe, receive the Holy Spirit as advocate, helper, comforter, counselor, Christ by his spirit, lives in every Christian. We become, it says, a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And in this prayer, at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is asking that these saints, all saints, us, would know an inner strength, a powerful inner strength that comes through the Holy Spirit who lives within them. And I don't know about you, but I need to be internally stronger. I need to be internally stronger from the inside out. I need the Holy Spirit's inner reinforcement. Why? Well, for lots of reasons, to grow, to mature, to produce fruit, to discover gifts. But also look at the second part of this petition, so that Christ may dwell in my heart. Not just live in us, but dwell in us. Not just arrive, but settle down. That Christ would make his home in our hearts. That Christ, by his spirit, would be at the center of our affections, the center of our desires, the center of our behavior. That out of the heart, we would speak Christ's words. That out of the heart, we would demonstrate Christ's characteristics, true Christian character and virtues. And for that to happen in my life, I know this, I need to be empowered because you see in my own or on my own and in my own strength, I'm beat because in my own strength, attitudes come spilling out that are anything but Christ-like. And so if you're here this morning, and you know that you need prayer for inner strength. You know you need more of the Holy Spirit's power and influence on your life. Then can I urge you, please get down on your knees and echo Paul's prayer. Please. Get down on your knees. Say, God, I pray. I pray. Empower me through the Spirit so that Christ would dwell in my heart. Second petition comes at the end of verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established or grounded in love. Now, I know that this sentence continues, but I think it's helpful to pause here and see this as a request in itself. Because what Paul is praying for here is that they would know that they would experience God's love. And as Paul prays for this, he uses a couple of metaphors, one from agriculture, botanics, the other from construction and building. He says, I want you to be rooted. I want you to be established. I want you to be grounded in God's love. I want you to have your roots sunk deep in the abundant love of God and that the foundation of your life would be established. It would be grounded on God's love. You see, if we have a superficial or weak understanding and awareness of God's love, if we are not properly rooted, if we're not firmly established, then whenever the inevitable storms of life come blowing and raging, we risk being uprooted and demolished. And so Paul prays that we would have both feet firmly planted in God's love and that our lives would be based solidly on in your love. stuff is going to come into our lives. Stuff is going to shake us. Stuff is going to rattle us. And if we're not rooted and grounded, we're going to get blown all over the place. 
And it takes us on to the third request. There's a bird out there doing my head in. It's going to take us on to the third request. Sorry. Anybody would like to go and take out a bird, that would be great. <laughs> third request, which is clearly... Con- and I'm, I've drawn attention to that now, haven't I? I shouldn't have done that. Oh, Paul's going to go and take it out, are you, Paul? No, he's going to close the doors. Bless you, Paul. Takes us on to the third request. Uh, which is clearly connected to that second one, that they would know the love of Christ in all its dimensions. Here's verse 18. I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You see, we desperately need to grasp, and this is what it's about, we need to grasp the extent, the full extent of Christ's love, but it's not easy. And before we get to the kind of measurements or the vastness, note that Paul prays again that we would have power to grasp it. Because again, we know in our own strength, in our own weakness, we miss this. We allow Christ's love to get diluted. We forget it. We overlook it. And so Paul asks for prayer, God's power, God's power, Holy Spirit strengthening power to grab hold of, to latch on to Christ's love. And so if you are losing your grip, if your grip on Christ's love is slackening, pray for power. Because we need power to be able to grasp it. And that comes through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Ask for power. If you're losing grip on Christ's love, Ask God by his Holy Spirit to empower you to grasp it again. But the second thing that's really interesting and insightful here is that it can be hard at times to fathom God's love on your own. So what does Paul pray? He says, I pray that you would do this with all of God's holy people. Paul says, listen, do this together. Do this in community. Help each other to grasp it. Support each other in getting it. Remind each other about it. As John Stott writes, it needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. It needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. It is difficult to do this on your own. Isolated saints will struggle to grasp Christ's love. Let's do this together. And then comes the dimensions. Paul prays that they would grasp the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of the love of Christ. And I know we've got to be careful not to take this too literally. We're not to get out our tape measures and start calculating. Paul is indulging in a little rhetoric to make a point of the sheer scale and extent and scope and expanse of Christ's love. But let me just throw out a few ideas using Paul's language and descriptors to help us appreciate it and visualize it. Visualize it. You know something? The love of Christ is broad enough, it is wide enough to encompass all mankind. Jews and Gentiles, as Paul has been talking about in this letter. Wide enough to encompass all. It's long enough to last for all eternity. This is a never-ending, everlasting love. It's deep enough to reach everyone, and it went to such depths to rescue us. Such depths. And it's high enough to exalt us to heaven, to raise us up and seat us with Christ, as we've been thinking about in the heavenlies. Christ's love is high enough to do that. 
But however we kind of process its reach and its span and its bigness, we need to keep praying this prayer over and over again. Please, God, may I have the power with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. But then Paul adds a further comment, and it almost seems contradictory, oxymoronic. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge hang on a minute, it's Paul playing with them. I want you to know that which cannot be known. I want you to know the unknowable. Well, the sense here, and it is a confusing sense, but the sense here is that the love of Christ, it is so vast, it is so limitless, that it is at one level totally beyond us. What I think Paul is saying here is, is, although the love of Christ is too big to ever fully comprehend, you can live in the knowledge of that love, even though you'll always feel out of your depth. And just to illustrate this, let, let me read something from Richard Kirkin in his book, Ephesians, for you. And I know illustrations, I don't use a lot of them, but I know illustrations have their limits, but I think this is helpful. The deepest part of the ocean that is known to scientists is the Challenger Deep Gorge in the Great Marina Trench in the North Pacific Ocean. It's seven miles deep. That is a mile deeper than Mount Everest is tall. There is no submersible currently able to survive the crushing pressures at the bottom to explore it. But even though we can't plumb the depths of the ocean to fully comprehend it, we can still enjoy swimming in it and not just stand on the beach analyzing it. And likewise, Paul wants his readers to dwell prayerfully on the vast dimensions of Christ's love and then to live in the daily reassurance of it, to swim in the bottomless ocean of Christ's love, ever exploring more of the unknowable. Dive in. Swim. Explore. Paul's third petition, I want you to know Christ's love. I want you to know the extent of Christ's love for you. And then finally, end of verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And this kind of follows, because see as your knowledge of Christ's love intensifies, well, one way to look at this, and I found this incredibly helpful journey, one way to look at this is that Christ himself, according to Paul in another one of his letters, Christ himself is the fullness of God. And therefore, one key aspect of this prayer and this petition is that we are to be coming more and more like Jesus. This is about asking that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to become increasingly Christ-like. And again, it's another great prayer for every saint to get on their knees and pray. God, that I may be filled the measure of the fullness of God. Increasingly filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is going to go on to talk about the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll get there post-summer. Filled constantly filled to the fullness of God. So here, four 
amazing petitions to pray, that we would know the inner strengthening of the Holy Spirit, that we would be rooted, that we would be grounded, that we would be planted, that we would be solid in God's love, that we would grasp the love of Christ in all its vast dimensions, and that we would be filled with increasing Christ-likeness, filled with more and more of the Holy Spirit. Please, please, can I urge you to get down on your knees this week? and echo those requests. But let me add one further thought as I bring this to a close. And I want to go back to where I started about 20 minutes ago or so. The verses 20 and 21 are such familiar words of benediction and doxology. We've heard them close numerous services. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Immeasurably more than what? than all we ask. Now just stop there for a second, because I want you to think of what Paul has already asked for in this letter alone. I pray, back to chapter one, I pray that you will know God better. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened to know hope. I pray that you will know the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Even what we've looked at this morning, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts. I pray that you would know love that surpasses knowledge. Those are big asks, Paul. Huge asks. And yet he writes, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. All that Paul has asked for is possible. We can know God better. We can be filled with the fullness of God. We can grasp the vast dimensions of Christ's love. God's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask. But it doesn't even stop there. Or imagine. Which takes me back to the beginning and our need for a prayerful imagination. Do you know we need to be more imaginative in our praying? We need to be more imaginative in our praying. I don't mean fanciful. I don't mean we need to think things up. I mean we need a more prayer-shaped imagination that cries out to God who is able to do more, not just a wee bit more, but far more than you could ever dare ask or request in your wildest dreams. And so earlier I asked if any of you were facing situations that was or felt like it was beyond you, beyond your ability. And I don't know if you thought of anything, but can I just remind you that although it may seem like it's beyond your ability, it is not beyond his. God is able. God is able. And so I encourage you that as you're down on your knees praying those four petitions this week, bring that situation, bring that person, bring that decision, bring that problem to God in prayerful imagination. He's able. And so to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and forever. Amen. We're going to close our service.
uh, and actually, I'm going to change things. Panic on the look of Ruth. Uh, but can we, go, can we sing Breathe on Me, Breath of God again? Is that okay, Paul? We're going to sing Breathe on Me, Breath of God again. Uh, is that all right, Mario? I know I've thrown the, the audiovisual guys, but if we could go back and sing Breathe on Me, Breath of God. And I'm going to suggest we just remain seated as we sing this and we pray this. And I'm also going to invite you, if you would like to, if you want to, if you feel it would be appropriate to, I'm going to invite you to kneel. And I know that's not possible for everybody for lots of reasons, and that's okay. Absolutely okay. Many people can kneel internally. That's not what it, this is not about setting other people. I just am given an opportunity for people, if you want to kneel in response this morning, say, yeah, God, okay, I'm going to make a decision that every day this week I'm going to kneel before you. I'm going to pray those, those words. Or maybe it's just about posture, and maybe it's just about kneeling before God, something you maybe haven't done for a long time for whatever reason. And so you just want to give thought to your prayer life and to your posture before God. Or maybe it is just to kneel before God and to think about that situation that you are facing that feels beyond you, but just to know, do you know something? I'm not able to deal with this. I can't deal with this. I can't see any future in this. I can't see any hope for this. I can't see this being sorted, resolved, improved. But you know something, God, you're able. You're able to do immeasurably more than I ask or I even imagine. And so maybe just getting on your knees this morning and just praying with a prayerful imagination might be helpful for some people. So let's sing, breathe on me, breath of God. And if you, if you want to take an opportunity to do that, do it.